welcome to Chucked. We are here on a Sunday, a sunny Tuesday afternoon, morning. Uh, got all of that wrong, uh, but uh, we're gonna, it's going to get better from here. Uh, it's a Tuesday morning and it's sunny. It's not an afternoon and it's not Sunday. Uh, so how you feeling, Dad? Dad's under the weather for uh, this episode. He's not feeling good. Yeah, as soon as I went off of my antibiotic last week from that previous throat thing I had, I, I started getting a sore throat again. Mm-hmm. And uh, now it's going into my chest. And um, So I'm, I'm not feeling great. Mm-hmm. But we're plugging on through. You made it. I made it. You made it. You know, I won't remember that I was sick. I'll remember that I did this, though. Mm-hmm. So that's the way I look at it. I've got a streak going. Do you remember, <clears throat> I've never missed a weekend preaching because of sickness. So there's just pride and ego all over that, mm. you know, but I am proud of it, you know, that I've always, yeah. uh, even when I had ACL surgery the next weekend, I hobbled up to the stage. I didn't miss a weekend <laughs> preaching. Actually, the weekend after this preaching, I was scheduled to be off. That's why I did the ACL when I did. But um, you remember I had that car accident, oh, eight or nine years ago where I, I totaled my car yeah. on Austin mm-hmm. on social row. Actually, I just, I, I looked down, my phone slipped off the chair and I looked down and I, I thought I killed the guy in front of me. Cause I just, I was going 50 miles an hour and just slammed into a stopped car. And I remember it was like three in the afternoon on Saturday. I was going to play tennis over at South Regency and two, maybe two. And, uh, the, the squad comes and everything. And, <clears throat> and I said, guys, Listen to me. I've got a streak going. And I was hurting. Mm-hmm. I've got a streak going that I don't want broken. I'm, I'm preaching tonight. And I've never missed preaching because of sickness or, or injury or illness. I said, we'll take care of you. And I was out of the emergency room in an hour. <laughs> they can do it. They proved they can do it. <laughs> they took me over to Miami Valley off of Wilmington mm-hmm. and, and uh, processed me. And I was a hurting puppy, but... But they proved they could do it. I was so proud of them. Yeah, the other one you almost missed was the bike wreck, didn't you? Yeah. You almost, because you were concussed. I was really hurting that day. Because that was a Saturday morning in 17. And the residual effects of the impact front to the car that I had being sent to my pelvis. Oh, yeah. The residual effect of that lasted for three months. I, I, I walked gingerly for three months and uh so it didn't show up that badly that night it was shocking because i mm-hmm. i did about three thousand dollars damage to the car that i hit uh that hit me that collided with me but uh yeah i think i'm down about four or five lives if i've got nine i'm down about four or five man i've had three major bike accidents mm-hmm. major in my lifetime but i'm here yep and Woody Allen said 80% of success, just showing up. You're here. <laughs> just show up. Got to play through pain. That's right. Yeah. I'm not, I'm hurting, but I'm not injured. Yeah. Okay. There's a difference. Yeah. There's a difference. It's just bronchitis. It's just bronchitis. <laughs> That's all it is. I'm not going to be running any laps today. I did, I did cancel uh, mm-hmm. a lot of stuff this afternoon. There was a good Runner's World article on uh, should you run exercise when you're sick. Oh, really? Yeah. I subscribed to one runner's word. Yeah. I missed that. I think, the, I think the verdict was that you shouldn't. It makes sense, actually, because mm-hmm. you're depleting your body. Your body has to spend all that energy in recovery. It needs it for its immune I know. system. So yesterday I didn't yeah. feel well when we played tennis, and, and I just I just want to get out and sweat. I just want to mm-hmm. get out and sweat, and then I felt good afterward. Then I felt bad after that, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And I had a full day. I think yesterday. it's a general consensus. It's bad for you. Yeah. The sweating is good for you, and things like that. Yeah, the uh, you know, but uh, 
but that can be achieved through a sauna of some. Well, you, know. I don't, you may not know this, but when when Pete and I, Pete, our blessed producer, sound tech producer, when Pete and I were growing up, the theory was, and Pete, not if you, your mom, my mom took the theory you wanted to sweat out the oh, fever. Yeah. So now everybody in the world knows you want the temp, body temperature to go down. Oh, of course, we didn't do that. You had a fever. You would get wrapped in three blankets. You would be sweating. Your mom boiled some whiskey and. and oh yeah, I mean, I, I, whatever brain damage I have, I know it goes back to being under those three blankets when I have a fever. And they took me to the doctor. Oh, he has a temperature of a hundred and two and a half. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, well, I, it was only a hundred and one and a half till I got under the three <laughs> woolen blankets. Uh, and uh, but that was the that was the deal then. You wore the you you wore the. Uh, the what's the pasty stuff the 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 the, the Vicks, the Vicks. Stuff. you put oh, the Vicks yeah. on your chest you put the towel over that to keep it in and you got under the wool blankets it felt like you were just like a grizzly bear was on top of you and um, yeah I, i'm sure it did damage i, I burned some cells through there uh, but um yeah so i'm feeling okay and good to be with our chucked audience we have some faithful listeners yeah, and I love them to death, Chucksters and Chuckettes, and I'm really proud of the Chuckettes because there is no way, there's no way that a lot of this can be interesting to some of them that I know. Mm-hmm. I'm not. That's not. It's not sexist. I just know some yeah. of them, and they're just faithful listeners. Yeah. And it's pretty cool. Yeah. How are you doing? How are you doing? I'm well. I have. I've. I've realized. So I, I had. A, I realized about a week ago that I'm probably a perfectionist and. Uh, but you then think? I, 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 well, I narrowed that. <laughs> I narrowed that down more. I don't think I'm a. I think more specifically, I'm not a perfectionist. I'm a particularist. Well, that's and I would like. Coin, we're coining like new to words. Hear, the word craftsman is po- coining uh, new words. Well, it's it's certainly more pointed at at, at uh, problems I cause, and uh, how difficult I am probably to live with for my wife and son. Uh, I don't think it becomes from perfectionism. I I think that those things can look a lot alike, but for myself, at least, it helps me to think more as a I'm a particularist. I, I have things that I that, that need to be done a particular way. And I, I need <laughs> you say tomato. Things. I say tomato. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I, I think. I mean, hey, uh, a rose by any other name is still a rose. <laughs> I'm saying perfectionist is you know pure and 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 perfect. You know, it, it, there's it. It is a it's a ladder that it has, something has to get to, but um, to, to strive towards this 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 uh, non-existent end goal. Particularism is like. I know what like I don't. It's it's not achieving to something. It's no. This it's already been achieved once before, and so I need it to achieve that way once again. Mm. It's it's our. It's I know what works. I know what is, uh, what is most efficient or most effective, and that's the way it has to be. And so I think, yeah, I think I'm 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 a particularist, not a perfectionist. Just as just as harmful and as and as, yeah. as irritating to people. Uh, because there's too much that I that I don't that I slack off on from apathy and, and not necessarily. Right. Well, perfectionist doesn't mean they're perfectionists in all areas of life. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that. It's areas you know you, you know what matters to you when you're a perfectionist in those areas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, so areas you don't value the, the outcomes. You're not a perfectionist. So you think, oh, I'm not a perfectionist because I don't really care if the bed is perfectly made. Well, that doesn't reflect upon maybe your 
character or your values or something like that. And I think I think a, partic- a particularist <laughs> is a is a rationalist perfectionist. Yeah, I guess it's yeah. maybe a matter why. So yeah, what's well, good that's to recognize I'm doing. that? I'm I'm trying to understand that and uh, and yeah, it caused a a, a bit of a, a, a quarrel with my wife yesterday. And I uh, just had to address that with her that mm-hmm. I think uh, I'm sorry. I'm I'm a. I said I'm I'm. I understand I'm a perfectionist. And she said yeah, but I think more pointedly I'm I'm a particularist, a rationalist, perfectionist. So, and she she understood that too. And so uh, that's how. That's well, how I'm doing one it. of the things you might want to do is that there's a great theological film called Meatballs. <laughs> By the scholar Bill Murray, and the movie you can I can say the chant, and everybody knows what movie I'm talking about. It just doesn't matter. Mm. It just doesn't matter. It's gonna. This is our official. It's our official chant of Players Box for the kids and the parents. It just mm. doesn't matter. That's why I tell people I get a reaction every time I say this now. Oh my gosh, as a grandparent, how much more perspective you had if you parented the way you grandparent, which is possible, Mm -hmm. you'd be a better parent. Because as a grandparent, now you realize, oh my gosh, it just doesn't matter. You know, it doesn't matter. So, not 90% of the things don't matter. And, and, you know, I've, last night I I did uh, young men in our church, grew up in our church funeral, 23 years old. his parents is broken, and you just realize so much doesn't matter, you know. Mm-hmm. Did I mention on Chuck about the Super Bowl? And I think I mentioned that Sean McVay. And, oh yeah, you know, his mom. And his mom, yeah. and and she was so distraught talking to my friend Vic, who who's lost his son, who's the same age as Sean McVay. They were friends growing up. And to her credit, she called back three days later and said, "I'm so sorry, Vic." I just lost perspective for a while. He was gracious, but mm-hmm. we all do, right? We yeah. all just think this, this is so big a deal. Because especially when you're skimming in life, like you're, you're living, marginless living, you don't want the hassle of having to deal with broken stuff that doesn't need to be unnecessarily broken mm-hmm. or done again. And that's one of the things, too, that I've noticed is when you have margin, you're able to accept stuff breaking down, stuff getting spilled, because you're not, you're not depleted mm-hmm. you have the emotional resources to deal with spilled milk yeah um, i don't do so that. you had a conversation yesterday and that's uh, take us now into what we're going to talk about today in light of that conversations mm-hmm. we all have them and none of them most of them don't go well mm-hmm. and this is something you've been looking into of the of there's i don't know if, uh, if there's anything more necessary than conversations that that have such a failure rate When you start studying it, you realize this is what separates the girls from the women and the men from the boys. It is. When you start studying it in its organizational impact, literally, organizations that have healthy dialogue, it's it's stunning the numbers of money, the money they save. Literally, the bottom line is affected by people who have effective dialogue skills. Mm. And so I've been studying it in the last Does that have something to do with 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 meetings and it does efficiency of meetings and also what comes when converse you know so we so when we either do them poorly or we avoid them and both of those silence and violence kill so when we avoid them we pay for that because these 
these hidden deficiencies in the organization go unaddressed, mm-hmm. costing us efficiency. When we do it poorly, then efficiency is really, really impacted because it leads to so much, not the least of which is little physical health. Mm-hmm. You know, people who can't do conversations well. There is a connection to one's ability to have conversations productively and your physical health. Mm-hmm. So it's gotten my attention. I'm doing a training at CESO in Austin Landing. The the uh, second Thursday of every month will be in part three uh, in two weeks, two weeks on Thursday at 1130. And then for those of you who listen to the Charlie McMahon Leadership Podcast, I addressed this last week. It'll be coming out. And we thought it was so important and then this weekend is so important because this weekend in the Versus series is peace versus war, mm-hmm. that even though I'm going to be at a wedding, I am going to record the message because I felt like this was one I needed to basically cast a vision. Mm-hmm. Because the, you know, Paul said, now that we have been reconciled with God, he has given us a spirit of reconciliation. The number one asset that Christians have that is different from all other faiths, all other the world, is grace. Grace that allows for reconciliation. And if we don't reconcile when we have quarreling, when we have conflict, we're no different from the world in the one thing that should set us apart. And I will tell you this, we're no better at it than the world. And I think it's because I, I, I know that I look at this from a teaching standpoint, but I think a lot of it's because we haven't really taught to the degree we need to on this. If you look at the Sermon on the Mount, you know, the series we mm-hmm. did last year, that's the, that's my primary content of my life is the Sermon on the Mount. You know, Dallas Willard said, if all we did was teach on the Sermon on the Mount, a class on the Sermon on the Mount, we'd have everything we need to be formed in Christ, particularly love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, forgive and it'll be, you know, and you'll be forgiven. And, it, you know, it's, it just gets missed. And uh, you'll say, Wow, boy, so and so really offended me, and and uh, we worked it out. And I offended him, but we worked it out. And and people look at you; they'll look at you like, "What? It's just foreign." Mm-hmm. And um, as one who used to just say, "I don't have time to deal with this," and I would just check people off my list, I don't do that now. And uh, one of my richest friendships is a result of that. Uh, we were deep friends, and we divided deeply, disagreed deeply. Conflict is inevitable. Mis- uh, 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 quarreling is optional. And we went into quarreling, and we didn't give up on each other. We worked it out. We forgave, and we are as, you know, we are as tight as brothers, prayer warriors together, s- servants of the Most High God as, as, a, as we could be today. Mm-hmm. And, he, and if he's listening to this, he knows. He knows. And he would say the exact same thing. It's because we got down in the muck and we worked it out. And boy, it just it, that shifted the trajectory of my relational life. Uh, I, don't, I, I know when someone's really dangerous and they're non-repentant and I can't reconcile, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I understand that. But there's a lot more reconciliation that could happen if we understand, if we understood good dialogue. Yeah. Yeah. And there are principles of healthy dialogue. There's a reason why some people in the company are are good at it and some aren't. There are basic principles. What are those? What? Well, this weekend I'm going to get into it. So I'm going to get into in James 3 
I'm sorry, James 4, what the war maker looks like, the mm-hmm. characteristics that Paul lists in James 4, you know, what causes fights and quarrels among you, don't they come from the desires that battle within you? And then in chapter 3, what the peacemaker looks like, wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, impartial and sincere, peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of rightness, righteousness. And so I'm going to get into that delineation. But in simplicity, here for our Chucksters and Chuckettes, the, this this is what I'm teaching this weekend, and everybody, every Austin and McKenzie, every Pete and Sherry, every Charlie and Sherry, everyone at Southbrook needs to understand this if we are to be different, because mm-hmm. this is one of the areas where we can be different. So the three things I'm going to talk about this weekend, and I want you to comment on them just and help me, help me, uh, you know, help me write this right. Help me write this. I'm actually going to go and record it today, so it's not, <coughs> excuse me, done. Mm-hmm. Um, Howard Markman examined couples who were in the throes of heated quarreling. So again, conflict is, is, is going to happen. Quarreling doesn't have to happen. They digressed into quarreling. And he said people fall into three categories. Those who digress into threats and name-calling. Those who revert to silent fuming. And those who speak openly, honestly, and effectively. And he said he and his associates are able to predict with nearly 90% accuracy the divorces that occur based around those three markers, you know, respect, et cetera. And, um, and he's the one that talks about silence kills and violence kills. Mm-hmm. So both of them, the extremes kill. And so what I'm going to get into this week is, first of all, a picture of every time you have a conversation, Joe Grenny says, imagine the pool of shared meaning that is now between the two of you. So imagine, I, I think of Clark Griswold with his little swimming pool at his desk that he's, you know, boing, 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 with the, the uh, you know, we put that pool right in the middle and say, okay, the pool of shared meaning, he says, is the birthplace of synergy. The pool of shared meaning. And the whole idea is let's make sure everyone involved in the conversation contributes to the pool of shared meaning. Well, how do we do that? The three things that I'm going to summarize it with this weekend is this. Start with your heart, restrain your brain, and cool your fool. Start with your heart means where is my heart in this matter? Is my heart right? And what does my heart want? James says there are hidden desires within you and you don't understand that's at the root of why not only do you fight poorly you want to fight <laughs> you're, you know you've been there where you just pick a fight because you, yeah. you have unresolved desires and if your heart's not right you you immediately there's a reason for this in terms of our brain but you digress into ma- manipulation and debate and withdrawal and destructive patterns so granny talks about i think it's just his two daughters uh they were at <clears throat> disney his two young daughters, it was a hot day at Disney all day long. The girls had drank and drank and drank and drank. And they come back to the room. And they both have to go to the bathroom. In hotel rooms, there's one bathroom. And they start fighting about it. You're so selfish. You you know, I need to go worse than you. No, you. how do you know? You're not in my body. And they just start fighting. Dad says, oh, oh, oh wait. I want, you're both going to go in there and you're going to work it out. And there's one rule. You can't hit each other. And he said, they went in. 25 minutes later, he heard the toilet flush. The one came out. A minute later, he heard the toilet flush again. The other one came out. He said, no, if you'd have worked this out out here, you'd have gone to the bathroom a long time ago. 
Do you understand that? Yeah, but she's selfish. And, you know. and his point with this is a couple things. Is when we get into arguments, we lose what we want. We digress into winning, mm-hmm. into punishing, or into silence. Withdraw. That's what we do. We digress into that. So in other words, our, our, our intention in this dialogue was to use the bathroom, but we totally lost sight of that in 25 minutes later. And Granny says, that's the first problem we face in our crucial conversations. Our problem is not that our behavior de- de- degenerates, it's that our motives do, and we usually miss that fact. Mm-hmm. And the first step in conversation is start with your heart. What are my motives? What do I want? What's the goal here? Put it on the table. Don't edit it. Put it on the table. What are you wanting? And then as you navigate the conversation, stick with that. Don't lose sight of that and digress into winning, punishing, and silencing. Hmm. Okay? So how'd you do on that yesterday? Did you stick to the main thing? No. um, (laughs) I just stand by. um, I stand by what... uh, I stand by what I believe and what I feel is right and just based on how I interpreted the events and do not budge. A hurricane force wind came my arguments away. What it, what it makes me think of is, uh, especially at the end there, a few things. The uh, Fleming and I went and saw Jordan B. Peterson lecture in Cincinnati uh, last year. I forget what he was talking about, but he, he, support is, he said something that was great and supports this, what you're saying. He said he's been in a faithful marriage for 30 years. He has two adult children that don't hate him, and he's had a very Which is a huge life. win. So yeah, for, I mean, I think a lot of families would say that. Um, he's had a rule in his family. And he's, Jordan B. Peterson, if you don't know, is an <laughs> author, a uh, psychoanalyst, um, a professor at Harvard University of Toronto. He has a rule in his house that they've always had it, you're not allowed to argue unless you first, you're only allowed to argue as long as you first state what you want. That's perfect. That's it. And if you don't, if you don't, if, if both parties don't state what they want, then they're not allowed to that's argue. That's right. Because then you're ambiguous and we, we're not sure. And so we digress from there. Mm-hmm. That's, per, that's, that's, a, that's a really good way to put it. That'll be And it's not so here. much as I'm telling you what I want so we can make a transaction here. As, as much as it is for this person, I'm stating what I want to keep myself yeah. where I need to be. Yeah. And uh, and that that and that's what exactly what you were yeah you were saying there yeah. Number two, restrain your brain. What this means is when we perceive we're under attack, we resort to fight or flight, and we stop worrying about adding to the pool of meaning and making sure that our partner in conflict adds to the pool of meaning, and we start looking, as I said, for ways to win, punish, or keep the peace. And this is where our brains undo us because they still have that mechanism that once they become flooded with adrenal chemicals, we resort to fighting or fleeing, fighting or flighting. Mm -hmm. And so in any conversation with emotion, which is all crucial conversations have emotion attached to them, there has to be a constant refocusing of your brain because if you don't do that, your 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 emotions take over and Randy Kramer teaches on this so well and his renewing the mind stuff that you get flooded your brain gets flooded and you you stop you know you you stop making sense really 
And so one of the things to do is when you're in a dialogue, learn and to stop and recognize what happened to you. Do you remember Office Depot used to have, that was easy button. You know, there'd be, it'd be good if we passed out buttons with pause buttons on them and just know that during a conversation, I got to hit this pause button. I got to stop and say, okay, what do I really want for myself? What I want for the others in this dialogue? What do I want for the relationship? How would I behave if I really wanted those results? That's what I really want. And by asking yourself what you want, it actually affects your physiology, okay? As you introduced more complex questions to your mind, the problem-solving part of your brain recognizes that, and now you're dealing you know, with intricate relational and social issues and not physical threats. It's not a saber-toothed tiger that's coming out of the forest to get you. They don't, don't overreact, even though your system feels like you're under mm-hmm. attack. And when you present your brain with a demanding question, your body begins to send vital blood to the parts of your brain that help you think and away from the parts of your body that help you take flight or begin to fight. So this is really critical, and that's then where number three is cool the fool, and what this means is this. Granny says the fool's choice is when, because we haven't restrained our brain, what he calls the fool's choice is when our brain has so digressed that we will simplify the issue, and we will digress into an either-or scenario. Either I need to get my way, right? I need to get my way, or... She gets her way, and if she gets her way, I don't get my way, and we get into this either-or battle instead of, yeah, instead of and. Mm -hmm. And so he asks, he says, don't reduce your conversation to either-or choices. The only way I can get what I want is to destroy her argument. Yeah. I either put up with this selfishness or I end the relationship. That's either-or. That's the fool's choice. And under the influence of adrenaline, we start seeing our options as unnecessarily limited. Our brain under adrenaline actually doesn't deal with complexity we just go real simple i need to outrun that bear or i need to outrun the guy with me right the fight or flight and so this is where the cool the fool by this question what do i want for myself for the other person for mckinsey and the relationship and if you if you're if you're hyped you'll resist this question because the brain your brain will say it's too hard that's not possible it's too hard because the brain doesn't want to work that hard mm-hmm to refocus. Um, I'm sorry, I had to destroy her if I was going to keep my integrity. I know it wasn't pretty, but it was the right thing to do. That's the fool's choice. Reducing an issue down to an either-or, a win-lose scenario. Mm-hmm. And and the, the, the critical part of cooling the fool is requiring your brain to set up new choices. So here they are. Clarify what you want again. Well, what I want for my, is for my husband to be more reliable. I'm tired of being let down by him when he makes commitments and I, that I depend on. That's what I want. So it goes back to number one, start with your heart. Number two, clarify what you don't want. What I don't want is to have a clueless and heated conversation that creates bad feelings and doesn't lead to change. Okay, good. That's, that's what you don't want to happen. And then third is present your brain with a more complex problem. How can I have a candid conversation with my husband about being more dependable and Avoid creating bad feelings or wasting our time. When you combine the two in an and question, it forces your brain to search for more creative options instead of digressing to either or. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's the, the summary of how to be a peacemaker. Other, you know, literally the word for peacemaker that Jesus used in Matthew 5.9 is a peace manufacturer. 
they're able to create peace out of conflict and quarrel. Ex nihilo peace. Yes, ex nihilo peace. Out of nothing came peace. And, and it, it can happen. Dialogue skills I'm learning are learnable. Mm-hmm. They're learnable. If you don't make an intentional step to learn them, however, you will digress to two, to two means. One is your family of origin, and number two, culture. So think about culture right now. We break all these rules in our social media dialogue, mm-hmm. in our political dialogue. We break all these rules. We start attacking to win. We start punishing. We start we start drawing lines. It's interesting the, the the antidote that politicians always have that is always the safe play for when they don't want to answer a question or they're dealing with a difficult issue is I just want to create a conversation and have a conversation when it seems like that's yep yep that's a pretty big problem to, that. Uh, that we're not able to face a lot. It's not, and I think since, as I said, you know, in Second Corinthians, Paul says, since he has given us now this ministry of reconciliation, we implore people on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So the whole point about is reconciling our hearts to God, settling those inner conflicts, and then being persons of peace. Mm-hmm. That's what Gary Sweeten taught me. In any conversation, you be the person of peace. You're not the thermometer going up and down emotionally. You're the thermostat that's set, and that's the whole start with your heart, restrain your brain, cool the fool, mm. the fool's choice. So I'm sorry that you didn't have this yesterday because it probably would have. I'm sorry for McKenzie because it probably would have uh, changed I, the whole thing. I don't, I don't. I don't. I mean, no. I, I think um, for certain situations, a lot of situations for me, I, I see uh, this is all right and. But the the first justice that needs to be done in a lot of those situations for myself is probably my ego, and uh, yeah, that's the winning. Getting, you know, try not to trip when I finally get over myself and and I'm in an argument. Um, so the, that quote, the pool of shared synergy is the the pool of shared meaning. Shared meaning is the byproduct of synergy. Is the beginning of synergy. Beginning of synergy. So in other words, and, and here's that. the thing, huh? I butchered that. You did. So I need to say. <laughs> I was that trying to like, listen while the writing. The pool of shared meaning is, is the origin of synergy, which means. Here's the thing is, is the more we see that pool between us, here's the thing. Number one, we get more information between us. And number two, we both own the outcome more because we were able to contribute to the pool of shared meaning. That's where the synergy comes from. I, I, what made me think of is this book that's sitting here with me and putting it into a historical context that we can, that we can draw inspiration from N.T. Wright says, equally in the ancient world as in the modern, religious experience of all shapes and varieties was on offer. The early Christians were not the only ones to speak in strange new tongues. Exorcisms and healings were well known in many cultures. A sense of union with a divine being was common in the mysterious religious world. The belief in a special divine vocation to which one must be obedient would not have marked out the early Christians, particularly from some of the Stoics, the call to leave home and family and to pursue the life of wandering evangelists has several analogies with the cynics, believing that the spirit of Israel's God had been poured out upon oneself and one's community was something the early Christians shared with many others. A new form of religious experience by itself does not account for historically, account historically for the development of early Christianity through the fixed points. Mm. But there was a new, there was nothing quite like from the earliest evidence, the Christians regarded themselves as a new family 
directly descended from the family of Israel. And so then he goes on to talk about the, the, the main thing. Uh, there are all in, these, is that in the Apostle Paul biography? This is in uh, he does talk about New that Testament and the people of God, the, the mm. origins of Christianity and the question of God. Uh, N.T. Wright. So he goes on to say that, you know, there's all these, certainly these elements that we think of the early church and in, in, in mm-hmm. in this in the rapid wildfire spread of Christianity as this new way of living. Um, and he goes on to make the case that out of all of those healings and, 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 and exorcism and not abiding to certain uh, political practices, religious practices that the pagans and the Jews did, what set them apart was this, what I heard and you saying um, was the, the shared meaning, the synergy, the, this new family, this oneness. That's right. That's right. They brought, I mean, Jew and Gentile came together, which we cannot really appreciate in this culture unless we compare it to Muslim and Christian in the Middle East came together. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's... Think about that. If that happened today, so I said, I, I was, yeah. This, uh, this, uh, what you're, what you're bringing up here. This is, it, it is supported within a, a more historical context. Uh, you see truth in in a historical context of it, and you see truth in very practical something such mm-hmm. practical as conversation in the 21st mm-hmm. century. And so it must be, it must really be a truth if if we find it in both of those things. Yeah. And uh, in this era, you can set yourself apart as really different if you can have really... Conflict is inevitable, but quarreling is optional. If you can learn how to not digress into simplistic quarreling, Mm -hmm. uh, you'll set yourself apart. And then if you do have conflict, you reconcile. I'm going to share the story this week of Corey Ten Boom. And and after she had been released from Ravensbrück and the, the German... Security guard comes up to her and says, Fräulein, I liked your talk on grace. Would you forgive me? And she describes what it was like. And she said, God, I'll move my hand. You move my heart. You move my heart. And um, that's what it has to be. So until next time on Chuck, this is Charles Braxton. That's Austin Charles. Have a great day. Mm-hmm.